So we're busy teaching on the overcoming, the seven letters. Read the art and gold. So this is the seventh letter, <coughs> Revelation. So Revelation chapter 3. From verse 14. of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. We'll stop there. Okay. okay. So last week we looked at this letter just from a point of view of overcoming. We spoke about the fact that this is the beginning of the process, the beginning of salvation. It is only those who have been helped by the Lord to become hot and not lukewarm that will go through the true baptism waters and lay their lives down, die to themselves a true death, not a symbolic death, and be resurrected into eternal life in Messiah. It's only those that are hot. So this is the first evidence of being hot. A person that went into the water lukewarm it doesn't come into resurrection. You don't receive a free ticket and say, okay, this is your ticket to go into the baptism. It's a free ride. Baptism is judgment. Baptism is separation. You either die in baptism and are resurrected or you're not. And this is the test of, this is literally the temperature test in the beginning. But how will the church remain hot? We spoke about what is hot. You boil the kettle and when it starts making bubbles and you say it has reached boiling point, then it's hot. It might still be hot to the touch before it boils, but that's not hot. It's still lukewarm, even if you feel it to be hot. How will the church remain hot? Only by carrying the Great Commission on our hearts. And not just carrying it on our hearts, only will we remain hot by an intention to fulfill the Lord's commandment. So, this is another good reason why we have, from the very start, before anybody else was, before there was a church, I was convinced that the way to, to have, be a healthy church is to be a church that is living for the Great Commission. If we are not living 
to fulfill the Lord's commandment, His desire. The Lord isn't saying, I command you, go and make disciples. He's saying, the desire of my heart is, the reason I came, the reason I saved you, the reason I know you, the reason I'm walking with you, and the reason you're walking with me, is because this is my desire. And, I'm, and he, he came and He did it, but then He went back to the Father, and He gave us the Holy Spirit, and He gave us the Holy Spirit for this purpose, to become witnesses. Now it is a great privilege the fact that the Lord didn't stay on earth and started saving everybody that's going to be saved himself. The Lord is still the one that saved, saves, but He does it in partnership with His body. He does it because He sends us. The Holy Spirit still teaches His people, but without the fivefold ministry, without the body, we have seen how people do not come into truth and understanding. They see truths, but they don't know what to do with it. And that's why He raises up certain people. Now, the way that the church is going to remain hot long term is by carrying an intention to fulfill the Great Commission. Go unto all the nations, making disciples. Now, a lot of people, over the years I've been challenged with this over and over. People say, well, you can just... You, uh, charity starts at home. They use that one. Don't be daft. He said, go into all the nations. If you're a disciple and you've been called to it, then we go in some way. Some people, like, like Leon, he's going to stay, he's going to do his business, but he's gonna, and he has been faithfully supporting the Great Commission. So I know for a fact from his lifestyle, from evidence, from his actions, that he carries the Great Commission on his heart to reach others. And you've got to understand that the way you've been reached was by our fervor and our zeal for the Great Commission. There was a very long time when I was not paid by anybody to do this. It was only because the Lord said to do it. And so we've got to understand, I want to, I want to encourage you Ask the Lord to blow on those flames continuously to make sure that fire burns very hot to reach anybody, anywhere, anytime possible. It's the only way. If we are going to do church here and we do our Bible studies and we devote ourselves but we huddle together, we will become lukewarm. There's no other outcome. We'll become another AFM or another... Even the vineyard movement started cooling down. The Lord was still doing miracles, but it started cooling down. It's when you go, and you go for the right reasons with the right thing. <coughs> We're not going to build church. We're going to make disciples. And so I want each and every one of you to seek for your hearts to burn with a fervent passion, a blazing fire when it comes to this. We know one thing, and I believe this is what happened on that night when 120 people were together in the upper room. What was that thing that they had in common? Because the Bible said they were together in one accord. What was it? What was happening in that room that night? There was only one thing I believe that could be powerful enough to cause what happened there, 
the Holy Spirit was poured out in such a powerful way. What were they doing? They were praying all night long. And it's not like they came together that night for prayer. They've been together day and night. They lived together. It's all they had. After the Lord was killed, crucified, the very city Jerusalem where they were living was a dangerous place for a believer in the way. So they didn't come together and decided to pray and then the Holy Spirit was poured out. They were together again. What were 120 people crammed into a very small room doing all night? I believe that a personal revelation from the Lord is that they were sitting powerless. The Lord had left them and the last thing He said to them is go into all the nations, make disciples. And you know what? There wasn't a Christian faith. There was only them. And the entire world around them didn't know anything about the crucifixion. They didn't know about the resurrection. No, the world around them wasn't even aware of the prophecies. The world around them knew nothing. The Jews wanted to kill them. The world outside of Israel where the Roman Empire, they had their gods. They loved money. They loved riches. And this small group of women and men that had no money, no anything, no reputation, nothing, they were left by the Lord with these words, go and make disciples. Peter denied the Lord on the night of his capture. He was supposed to be their leader. They had a leader that had already denied the Lord. When he was captured in the garden and dragged in front of the Sanhedrin, the disciples, the twelve, the strongest among them were scattered. They ran in every direction. They were hiding. And even worse, before this moment of his arrest, when he asked them to pray with him, they were sleeping. He came back and he said to them, Wake up, I asked you, can you not watch with me? He said, Yes, we will. And the moment he left, they went back to sleep. They all knew this about each other. The twelve strongest, the twelve that had been prepared for three years, handpicked, the twelve leaders of the 120, they knew something about the others. They looked at each other and said, you also slept. You couldn't even stay awake when he was with us for one night. When he was sweating blood, we slept. And then when they came to arrest him, uh, Peter at least chopped the guy's ear off. The rest, they ran. And then Peter himself denied the Lord three times. And now he had left them. 
and they were sitting in a room, what was that one accord that they had? The one thing that they had in common is they were scared beyond the depth of fear. They would have been so in touch with their own weakness, their own inability, their own anxiety and their own fear. And they couldn't even trust or lean on the person next to them because that guy was also asleep. And Peter, their leader, he denied the Lord three times. When Yahushua said, let's go to Jerusalem for the feast, they said, let's go with him so that we can die with him. But when the moment came, they ran. And they were left behind. Now I'm going to be honest with you, I've been there. Over the years that I have prepared and equipped, I haven't just been courageous and I haven't just been devoted. I've been scared and I have felt my own inability and my own weakness more than I've experienced strength. I, many times I said to the Lord, you've got the wrong guy. When the Lord called me, He spoke to me and said I would be like Moses. I always felt like my, my life would be like Moses' life and it's certainly true. Most of the times I said to Him, there's got to be someone better to send. Now, if a person is sitting in this room and saying, if you should send me, I'm the one, you are not the one to be sent. <laughs> if you're the one that's saying, Lord, this scares me, then there's hope for you. That's what they had in common. The Bible says and they were together in one accord. One accord. What is going to keep the church hot and not lukewarm? The Great Commission. I believe they were sitting in silence and they knew they had to go out there. The sun was going to come up, it was going the dawn was going to come and some way, somehow, sometime they couldn't stay in that room forever. And I think they were just shaking with fear. Because out there was India, the Roman Empire, China, Greece, Greece Ethiopia, Egypt. Egypt, and the Lord said, go unto all the nations. <laughs> Nobody volunteers for that. I would have gone like, I'll cover home base, guys. <laughs> I'll be praying for you from here. You don't understand, in that world, firstly, you don't get on a plane, you would have to walk there, and then when you got there, you would be the only one, no support. And you don't know how it is, where you're going. There's no Googling, Google Maps, no. encyclopedias, <laughs> even. You, you just go. You don't book your accommodation in advance. So these guys, there's a reason they were fearful. Now, I believe this is, I asked the Lord so many times, I was seeking for that thing. I was saying, Lord, what was that one accord? Because if we could know what that was, we could bring that into our, our work in church and we could get people into one accord. I thought it was this wonderful revelation coming. And then the Lord showed me. They were weak together. 
And that's when the soil was ready for the seed to be sown. That's when the atmosphere was perfect for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Because without the Holy Spirit, there was no way that they were going to go and fulfill the Great Commission. Because without the Holy Spirit, you can't even baptize someone. What are we going to do? You can't do anything. So they were sitting there, they were all, they knew the Lord, they walked with Yahushua himself, and now he was gone. And I believe that's the thing they had. <clears throat> In their desperation, the Lord poured out the Holy Spirit on them. Now read again how they do, they don't even know that they're naked and poor. <coughs> <coughs> Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. See, first, that process of remaining hot is us understanding what our state of being is all the time. The moment we think we stand, that's when we fall. We are kept standing by the Holy Spirit and by grace. How does that buying work? Do you want to explain that, that process? Okay, so he says, he says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, the garments and the soul. So this isn't just, he's not saying, I counsel you to ask from me. We know in James it says that whoever asks wisdom from the Lord to them, he will give liberally. But this isn't that. So it's not just, oh Lord, please give me, I would like these items. It's not even desperately seeking him. He says to buy. So there's a cost. You can't just get. You need to give something. And this is again where the hot and cold comes in and what we did last week already. And this is why this letter is the first step in the process. So it's the last letter but the first step. Because the price is always going to be everything we have, everything we are. So an entire, completely, extremely, utterly laid down life. Remember last week we spoke of extreme measures. So completely hot, so completely cold. So if we're going to buy from the Lord, then the only thing we have to give is our lives. And let's face it, half a life isn't going to be enough. Our entire lives probably isn't even enough, but that's all we have. Now, if it could happen, imagine just for a moment, someone could get hold, remember the Bible says the streets in New Jerusalem are gold. Imagine somebody could get hold and authenticate that they have a brick of gold that comes from the heavenly city. And put that on the market. What do you think? the price would 
be for that. Imagine they had an auction and it could be authenticated. This is a true brick of gold from the streets of the city of heaven. Do you agree that would be priceless? If you wanted to get hold of that, what would it take? Everything you own, would it be enough? Your TV, your car, <laughs> I suspect it would take at least one of the kidneys as well. Probably all of the kidneys. <laughs> so, do we get what he's saying? He says, buy from me gold refined in the fire. It's easy to just read it and go, yeah, sure, buy from me gold. Have we ever stopped and gone, what is he saying? Buying works like this. To get what you want, you've got to give something else. Of the same value. No, I don't know if you're the same as me. I go into checkers, <laughs> I want the chips, but I also want the money in my pocket. Everything seems too expensive. Then you make that decision, I'm willing to part with a little bit of the money for what I want. That's the way it works. Buying works like this. You give something to get something. You don't just say, I want it, please. <laughs> please. You know what Christians do? They think we just got to keep asking. They misinterpret what the Word says. Here the Lord says, you want the gold, you've got to buy it. What's the gold? Why are we poor and miserable without the gold? What makes us poor and... Why? Okay, so let's get this. We're going to look at this scripture properly. He says, unless you get this gold, you're going to remain poor and miserable. So, unless you get this gold... So, we read it, we go like, he says, buy the gold, but... Yeah, someday I'm going to buy it, and then we move on. And we go like, I can live without it until I get it. Now you're going to be poor and miserable. And wretched. And wretched. What's the gold? So remember the days we, we were in touch with our being wretched and miserable? You were wondering why you were miserable. Nobody thought, well, it's because I don't have the gold. Well, we thought it's because we don't have the gold of this earth. Okay, so realize that we all know what it was like to be miserable and wretched and poor. But we didn't understand it's this gold that we need. Without it, we're going to remain miserable and poor. When you came to him with your life, initially, we bought in. We bought into the eternal city. Because that gold is that which the city is made of. And the city is built out of living stones. And that's why if you want to have less of that miserable longing, the emptiness, the something that's missing, we go find our brothers and our sisters. That's the gold. 
That's the goal. It's the only thing worth anything in the world. Nothing is worth anything except our brothers and sisters. And we buy that gold and then we buy more and we buy more because without it nothing we own seems to be worth anything. Nothing we have seems to be worth anything for very long. And at first you will kind of use what you're willing to spend to get some of the gold. Later, you'll realize I'm going to have to give it all. And that's when the real struggle starts. When we start finding out what we want to keep. What is worth more to us than the gold refined in fire? It is his sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters. And that's why we devote our lives to it. And that's the only way the church will remain hot. And that's the only way you will remain hot. It's not your love for the Lord that's going to keep you hot. Yeah, just on that, <coughs> verse 15, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Mm. With the emphasis on the word works. Mm. It doesn't say, I know your heart or I know your love, or I know your intentions, I know your mind, I know your thoughts, nothing like that, I know your works. So we were going to prove that we are either hot or cold or even lukewarm, there's going to be in our, in our works and what we do, what we live out, not in what we want to live out. You're not going to prove it tomorrow, you have been proving it yesterday. by your works. Don't think that there is any other way to do it. It's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Now this is where we are, want to make a clear statement. That's why we're not running out there and trying to feed all the poor people. That's not the Great Commission. Our commission is to go and make disciples. Mm. disciples. And you can't make a disciple if you don't know the word, if you're not living the, the, the kingdom of God now. And that's why we encourage everyone, take this as your commission. You've been baptized, you know what it feels like to die and be resurrected, you know what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the time is going to come when we're not here and you guys are going to baptize people. You're going to lay hands. always been the plan to prepare you to do it. Okay? Now, this is actually something that we said this is the first step, the beginning of the process. This is why this, you can't wait till one day, someday. First step, stay hot. Stay hot. From the moment that you are brought by the Lord to lay down your life and you are resurrected. We keep that pot boiling. 
I mean, it's in the compromise. The compromise that's going to make it cool down. It's when we pour cold water into the pot. What will you pay for the gold refined in fire? Or shall we, you know, why people stay on the street? Why so many street people cannot be brought from the streets? Because they're miserable and wretched and cold. But they're not willing to pay the price to be clothed. And we can't afford to be like that. So I'm telling you today again. He says, buy. We always, that's why when he talks about the coins, he says, go. Do business with the coins. Deal with it. We buy the gold from him. We don't pray for it. We don't just hope for it. It's the works. He says, I know your works. Okay, action. Right? Action. Okay. We have spoken about vision as well. Let's go to our John scripture. Okay. Yes, you can. Okay. Before we go to John, so after the ISOL, in verse 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. But then the second part says, Therefore, be zealous and repent. So, the word zealous, obviously, can have both a positive connection, connotation, or a negative one. Uh, we know that Paul speaks of them in both ways in different letters. So, but generally, when we hear the word zeal or zealous, we think of, oh, okay, I'm going to do something. There's like this oomph, this momentum, this push of, oh, okay. And we know the negative connotation to the word zealous or zeal can, can manifest in dead works, let's be honest. So I'm going to do all these works in the name of the Lord, and it's going to look great, and I'm busy, 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 but it's not uh, having any fruit. <clears throat> so this word zealous, as it would happen in the context to the letter, the word zealous, if you go look at its original translation and then even the root word, it means to boil. The word zealous here means to boil. So he's, he starts the letter by saying, you're not hot nor cold, I wish you could be hot or cold, and then he ends the letter by saying, boil and repent which is so kind of him to do because he's not just saying go be hot or go boil he's telling us how to do it even so that we don't fall in the trap of of walking out our zealousness in in dead works the works that's supposed to go with true zeal the boiling kind is repentance be zealous and Repent. But what's repentance? Let's just do that again. Yeah. Do you want to do repentance? So repentance, the religious idea of repentance is, oh, we stop sinning. So I'm going to 
not swear anymore. That's not repentance. Repentance is turning away from your own image and your own will to His image and His will. But that word's coming back to Him. Giving up you, coming back to Him. So again, buying the gold comes down to the same thing. I need to lay down everything to gain Him. I can't be me and Him. So we can repent and stop the negative things we do, but you still haven't repented until you start coming into His will and doing His will. The biggest sin of everything is not to do His will. So repentance, coming back into His image, and that's why we're baptized into Him, that's repentance, and then seeking to do the will of the Father. And that means that you stop doing your will. You can't be doing your will and His will at the same time. And this again is going to help us understand how to stay hot. Now Joshua, when you were baptized, you said, I want to bet on the gold. Now you're in the season of your life when you have to start paying for the gold. Uh, it's not as much fun as we thought there. Because <laughs> that's what the rest of our walk with the Lord is. He says you can have the gold, but you're going to pay for it. It's not free. Salvation was free. Your, your place in heaven, that's free. But he's gonna, he doesn't, when you get baptized, doesn't transport you to heaven. So like, welcome. <laughs> now he sends us back here. Come out of the water and you're still here. <laughs> and I thought the deal was, look, the way the gospel was preached to me, I thought the deal was he's just going to do everything for me. Well, it's going to be sunshine and roses. So the rest is real. But the fact is he leaves us here for a purpose. Now you're going to start trading with what he's given you. Now you're going to start buying that gold, buying the eye salve. And it's not a bad thing. For those that have started this, we realize, wait, this is actually better than anything I've ever done. Right? And then you start going like, okay, Lord, I've now given you everything I had. Give me something to trade with. Right? That's why we start equipping in the Word, because then we realize He's given us this. We can, we can learn this. We can write it on our hearts. We can know it, and that's what... Now you've got enough to trade with. You'll never run out. You can buy as much gold as you can carry. Okay, that's how we stay hot. Now let's talk about the rest of overcoming quickly before we end this off. Just take okay. us there. John chapter 16. The Gospel of John chapter 16. <coughs> so Josh, I know that the first year or so after your baptism, the overcoming is huge. Because I've been overcoming for 20 years. You doing all the overcoming for your first year. So it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. Look, it's like going to the gym. If you don't want to have any pain, just don't go. Mike's advice is stay away. It's like, <laughs> like you, while you're there, it's fun. And the next morning you wake up and you can't brush your teeth. <laughs> kind of, you rest the toothbrush on the zinc and then you move your head. <laughs> your arm can't move. That's, that's like, the first year after being baptized, it's kind of what happens to you. You go like, wow, nobody told me it's going to hurt this much. But it's going to exercise your mind, exercise your spirit, and we start trading. And you buy, even if you can get a little bit of the gold, you buy it. 
And you buy it by surrendering your life, by giving your time, giving your attention, wrestling your attention away from other things. Overcoming, we call it overcoming. Okay, let's talk about overcoming. Okay, it's John chapter 60, verse 33, the very last verse. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Read it again. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So this is significant the way that he is saying this. So the Lord is saying to us that in him you will have peace. So again, it's the in him that we did on Thursday evening. In him you have peace. Now whenever we read peace, we know that the word peace is connected to the covenant, eternal covenant of peace, fulfilled covenant. So only by covenant in him can a person have peace. There's no, other, there's no peace available. To anybody, anybody that's not in him, anybody that doesn't have covenant, no peace. It's not possible. He says, in him, so we seated in the heavenly place, in him, because we resurrected in him, you will have peace. But in this world, so it's still the same, in, your, in him you'll have peace, but in the world you'll have tribulation. Mm -hmm. So again, we have, one of the things that we preach that you don't hear anywhere, very, very rare and very difficult to hear, is the fact that we are in Him and we are in the flesh. We are living in both places. That's one of the messages the Bible carries. Actually, someone on Facebook posted a thing saying the opposite this week, going like, there's no duality. You are saved because you believe in your heart and then when you die you'll get to heaven. I'm like, Okay, so you're saying what everybody else says and it's wrong. The duality, we are in Him, but in this world we will have tribulation. And then He says what? But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Show us cheer, please. Cheer. Okay, what is he saying? There's always depth to this. Now, cheer isn't just get your chin up, pretend to be happy. <laughs> That's what we always thought. That's what they told us. Just look, you've got a responsibility as a Christian to be joyful. Rejoice. Cheer. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> That's actually what they Okay, so um, just to confirm, the peace that he speaks of is. Um, We're looking at lexicon. Yeah, so I'm looking at on Bible Hub at the words, the layout of the words. Okay, so the word peace um, comes from a word that I can't pronounce, but it, it means the definition is. Um, one, peace, quietness, rest. 
So see how in the words the gospel is there, one. Actually the word one. Wow. So in me you will have peace, but it's also one. So undeniably not just, he's not just referring to, oh, you will have peace and quiet. It will, it's covenant. So let's get that straight. By uh, the Lord uh, interacting with us, and what the whole word says isn't he doesn't give you peace your peace now I've given you peace doesn't do that you come into him and now that you're one with him that oneness is peace mm. you can't have peace on your, on your own yeah. okay then he says in the world um, in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer now the be of good cheer uh, can also be translated as take courage to have courage which is beautiful because we have been looking at Joshua and we looked at Samson and we compared the fact that the Lord gives Samson strength but say to Joshua be strong and take courage and here we are and the Lord is going to talk in context to overcoming and he says but be of good courage but take courage I have overcome the world. Okay, so he goes, so basically he says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have covenant, my covenant, covenant with me as being one with me. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Now, this is where the part of the big revelation lies. When he says, I've overcome the world. So when we think of the world, and he says, I've overcome the world, we think, oh yes, he came to establish his authority and his dominion, and he has overcome all evil and all sin, and he has paid the price, and darkness will flee from his light, and that is how he overcame. And all of that is true, but it's in the way that he did it. So the, the, the word for world uh, comes from the word cos, cosmos, and that actually just means orderly arrangement, the orderly arrangement of things. Now to us, um, if we just look around the world as we know it, the cosmos, we see that there is a certain type of structure and order that is happening because our eyes have been opened and because we have been granted knowledge understanding and wisdom by the Lord we understand that the order of the world is not the same as the order of the kingdom of heaven or God's order understand that this world as we know it was in initially intended to work according to God's order because God created it as an orderly creation but it was supposed to be according to his order his will his ways and then we know that the fall happened. And now, when we look around, we're looking at a fallen world. And the order that now exists, exists contrary to that of God's order. We know that there are principles of this world, laws of this world, ways of this world. And what the Lord did, what Yahushua did when he came and overcame the world, when he says, I've overcome... this orderly arrangement what he did and the way he did it 
was he came to the fallen world where the order was contrary to that of the Father's will. And he overcame that disorder, the ordered chaos, and he brought back, re-established God's order. Re-established God's ways and God's perfect will. But he didn't do this by coming to overcome the evil one or to drive out darkness or to do all these things. All he did was to fulfill the Father's perfect will. All he did was walk according to the ways of God. All he did was to keep his eyes fixed on the joy set before him. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2, I'll read it. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Yahushua, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he overcame. We know that in Revelation, we can't read all the scriptures, but we know that he overcame all things. And that's why he could inherit all things. But he did this by obedience to the Father's will. He didn't come with the intention of overcoming evil. He didn't come with the intention of overcoming sin or mm -hmm. sickness or poverty or lack of knowledge or lack of wisdom. He, come, he didn't come with the intention to fix those things or overcome those things. He came with the intention to fulfill the Father's will. Mm -hmm. And that is how he overcame the disorder by bringing God's order. And this brings us back to our overcoming. And the scripture we read now in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, links in really nicely. Um, because we did say last week that the reason this is the, the seventh letter in Revelation is step one, um, is because it speaks about us being seated with him. And remember the explanation we did. We said the, the reason that's step one is because we know that when we lay down our lives, we are baptized into him. And now we can walk through the first six steps, reaching again the seventh step because we are in him. And he has overcome. So we walk out the overcoming, but we only walk out the overcoming that he already made the way for. The overcoming that he already had victory in. We don't have gain overcoming in other areas. We walk out the six steps from our positioning in him which is why we start at the last letter the first step is the last step the last step the first step and now we walk out our overcoming in him but this is so important for us to understand because this is where we find another element another aspect of rest and peace and victory because he doesn't give us an inheritance and then say okay now you go and overcome and now we walk out this life and we know that there are tribulations in the world. We will have tribulations. It doesn't just end it there. He doesn't say, well, in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. 
If you had said that, then great. That would have been, that would have been pretty great. Anyway, take courage, overcome. And now we walk out our lives and, okay, so I have to overcome this thing and that thing and this element and, oh, this is coming out of my heart or, oh, this is coming against me or this difficulty at work, at home, uh, with friends, with family, any of those things. If that were the case, then this would be a very difficult walk. And we would take courage, but let's face it, it would be tough. And we would be faced with tribulation and because of a lack of vision, we would probably not end up overcoming. But he doesn't end the sentence there. He says, but, be, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And this is where our victory lies. Our victory lies in the fact that we don't have to, we don't overcome our things on our own. The only overcoming we were ever called to was to overcome in the areas that he had already overcome. We were only ever called to walk in the road that he had already paved. He is the author and finisher of our faith. We were only ever meant to walk the road that he had already walked. And the overcoming is real. Those of us who have been walking the road, we know the overcoming is real. And we show diligence and faithfulness and we seek his wisdom, we seek his guidance. But our hope lies in the fact that he has already walked the road. He has already gained victory. And so it's possible for us, not only possible, if we give ourselves to it, it's completely secure, completely sure that we will have victory because he has had victory and it's his victory that we're walking in. We don't have to conjure up some kind of new victory or go, Lord, look at this. I've overcome this thing for you. What he gives us as an inheritance is everything that he already overcame. That's why we start with the last step. We seated with him. And he has already overcome doubt and unbelief, fear, worry, anxiety. He's overcome temptation. He's overcome all of those things. And yes, in our lives, it might take different shapes or forms. But this is our opportunity to walk in his steps. So temptation might take a certain form for me. But I'm not overcoming anything else than, he, than what he overcame. Because he overcame all temptation by fulfilling the will of the Father. By having his eyes fixed on the will of the Father and the order of God. He overcame all temptation. So it might play out in a certain way in my life and I might need to overcome one aspect of it and you might need to overcome another aspect of it. But it all comes down to the fact that it's his victory. He already overcame. And this is what makes it possible for us to overcome. You see, it's, it's, it connects to the duality, but it also connects to faith. In 1 John, the letter of 1 John, in chapter... Uh, Five, verse 4 he says for whatever is born of God overcomes the world for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith and our faith isn't also just that for which we hope oh yes Lord I have faith that I'm going to overcome this that's not even it if, if faith is, is what overcame the world then faith is going to be the ultimate faith the substance of things hopefully evidence of things not seen it's the fact that he has already finished the work. He has already completed everything. Our victory lies in him. And that is where our victory lies. That is how we are able to overcome. We have a connecting point. 
a sure end result that we can keep our eyes fixed upon. And so we're not focusing, we see these things that we have to overcome, we see the tribulation, but our eyes aren't fixed on it. That's not where the vision ends. That's not where our sight ends. We're able to acknowledge it, but we are able to look beyond. And because of that connection point, and it's not just a hope, not just a wish, not just a vague dream, it's sure. It has substance because it's faith. So the connection point would look like this. The, what he's saying there is that in him we have covenant. He has overcome the world now. In the book of Revelation he's telling us he wants us to overcome. Now if he just if faith was what the world thinks is faith, that I just have to really concentrate or really want it or really devote myself to it, then if he said overcome, then I'm here without any connection when I've just got to try and make it today. But now there's him who has overcome, I'm in him and him is, he's in me and I'm here and now it's connecting to what's finished. So I can just, it's almost like the cable car on Table Mountain. It would be a wonderful experience if they just kind of propelled the thing, a bit like a... Like just a, shoot you up the mountain. Just put that little ball, you get in the ball, you we're going to shoot you up, and we're going to just do our best to have you land somewhere on the mountain. Signal hill, we'll put you in the cannon, we'll uh, shoot you to the top of Table Mountain. There'd be a very short queue. Um, be kind of easy to get in. They have the cable, but it's not connected in the end. So you're coming down, they're like, okay, well, there is a car, there is a cable, it's just not connected there, but I mean, you're going down. We will roll table, you, just kind of push gone. you over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we see how, he's not just uh, going, okay, I'm going to just push you over the edge, let's see if you make it. That's not the Take overcoming courage. he's talking about. <laughs> Take courage. Now do your best, see you at the bottom, and uh, no, we connected. He's seated in heavenly places, he has overcome the world. He's in us, and he goes like, you overcome the world. There's this conveyor belt, that's the faith and grace. And we actually just work according to that. So in any overcoming, don't do your overcoming. Don't overcome the things in your life. You bring your life into his overcoming, his life, his faith. Okay, so the thing to remember is that hidden within the text, in the words, is that the way he overcame is by bringing order. <coughs> he has brought the order of the kingdom of heaven according to the given word of God, so he's fulfilled the law. Yahushua, as becoming a man, the son of man, on our behalf, brought the order of God's perfect will, his goodness, into this world that is chaotic and without order. Nothing good can come out of it. And he brought it, and he walked this earth, but he walked it out according to God's order, and in that overcame it. So he never overcame the world, but when the soldiers came to arrest him, he ripped his glasses off, opened his shirt, and voila! Shone with a light that blinded them. That's not what happened. He didn't overcome the world in that way. No, he allowed them to arrest him. So, when he's saying he overcame the world, 
Yes, he did drive out demons. He did heal the sick. But it was in a humble, obedient way. He was just bringing order. He was walking out order. Because he was walking out order, people that came near him, their lives were being brought into order. That's the virtue that came out of him. Now, if he says to you, overcome, that's why we've been teaching you over the last three, four years, everything is, uh, revolves around order. Principles, truth righteousness order to the degree that we come into order to that degree we are overcoming as easy as that okay now that is all we have for today we thought we'd quickly finish with uh, the seventh letter i think thursday evening we're gonna have to just finish it off um that's the way the bible works to be continued how do we as a church, long-term stay hot. Boiling. Boiling. There's only one way. There's no other way. There's no other options. Great commission. So you start praying. Uh, this is part of the buying. Start praying. That gold is our brothers and sisters. There's nothing else that is of any value. We do. We equip, firstly. That's the priority. You get to know the word. You get to understand the Word. You get to know how to walk in the Spirit. You become strong in the Spirit. So that you, when He gives you opportunity, you can actually be a trustworthy witness. That's what you focus on. And we do that by implementing all the order in our daily lives. So that when the time comes that He gives us an opportunity to testify of the resurrection, that it comes from a life of resurrection. Mm. that's the mission the reason they were all together in that upper room I believe was because they knew they were going to go out there and they knew that they were not able to go and fulfill that on their own and then a strong wind blew through the house and God poured out his Holy Spirit himself out upon them and in them. He restored to them the heavenly language. They became the temple, the dwelling place of God as a body. And Peter walked out on the roof. And so, the age of the Great Commissioning started. Peter walked out on the roof, 3,000 men got baptized, and then they kept going, and they kept going, and that's why today we're still going. Now Satan has had 2,000 years to steal the knowledge of God from the church. The church is in a worse state than it's ever been. The church is absolutely what it says in that letter. It thinks it's rich, doesn't realize it's poor and naked. That's why we're going. That's why we're going.